welcome to Streaming Into the Void, where we discuss all the streaming news for the week ending December 24th, 2022. This week, we look forward to the next year in streaming. I'm Kim Hollis, and the cold never bothered me anyway. With me are Tim Brighty, content creator and gamer who worries he hasn't talked about Hades and MST3K enough this year, but he promises to do better in 2023. Already predicting Hades 2 is the game of the year. And if there's news about season 14 of MSC3K, you'll hear about it here first. <laughs> you had to leave some room there for uh, wrestling talk, Tim. Absolutely. Oh, <laughs> trust me, it's coming up. <laughs> <laughs> also, David Mumpower, author of Disney Demystified, streaming media analyst, and brokenhearted that we won't get Christmas for another 364 days. Merry Christmas, my many loves. And remember, you matter to someone, even if you don't feel that way during the holidays. So feel free to reach out to Kim and I if needed. And the podcast is produced and edited by Raul Burriel, whose whiteboard has been waiting all year for today's episode. I got all these brand new expo markers in different colors <laughs> and yarn so much yarn. <laughs> okay, we're going to spend a few minutes looking forward to what could be the biggest stories in streaming in 2023. We'll start with Raul. You've got some thoughts about who's buying whom. This is what I track every week on the podcast as streaming services look for an edge. Owning the latest hot license is what's in vogue. It's what gives you that exclusive content that brings in the subscribers. The biggest companies in the world all endeavor to be vertically integrated with product suites that are comparable to their competitors. So when you see a company that's got something in column A and something in column B, but nothing in column C, you know that they're shopping. That's why Microsoft is the 800-pound gorilla right now waiting in the wings looking to make the right move they tried that with activision blizzard if that merger goes through and that's a big if they'll end up with some highly desirable properties like warcraft diablo and call of duty with that added to their portfolio they can start looking around at studios that can make shows and movies based on those licenses and maybe even buying their own studio you see the perils of licensing out your properties to third parties with halo which took a decade to reach audiences, and folks were none too pleased with the end result. Yeah, I want to toss in something here that's just a little bit of cinematic history, and that's for the longest time, several different studios were in on Halo as a movie, and it didn't happen because Microsoft's terms were just ridiculous. I mean, they wanted like 20% off the top of all box office grosses. It was never going to work out financially to the extent that you could guarantee that it was going to be a profit for everyone involved and studios tend to stay away if there's just, you know, no path to profitability that's reasonable. So that's what happened. And instead, we waited way too long for a Halo production. And it's exactly what Raul said. It's not a good thing. And it's also not on anything that Microsoft controls. I absolutely agree with what Raul is saying here, where we're kind of reaching a point with this where you want to vertically integrate. And if Microsoft can push this merger through, they're going to show the path for everyone else, aren't they? 
yep, we're going to end up with some uh, pretty big conglomerates out there. And I think you could see a lot of the studios, a lot of the smaller studios out there are lining themselves up, fattening themselves up, in fact, in order to be acquired so that they can then be folded into those larger conglomerates. Let me rattle off some of the companies that are right now up for sale or maybe up for sale in 2023. We've discussed, I think, all of these. Lionsgate, Stars, AMC Networks, which unfortunately has had a bad quarter and I started to do a lot of cuts. Roku, who is essentially a one-trick pony. They need to be part of something larger and they're not going to be able to continue to exist independently for much longer. And Candle Media, the Stags and Meyer company that's been buying up all these intellectual property like Coco Melon and Hello Sunshine, arguably so that then a bigger company will come around and buy them up. Right now, they're being funded by Blackstone, an equity firm. Blackstone doesn't want to hold on to Candle Media indefinitely. Their goal is to fatten up Candle Media until a big company comes around and buys it. And that company, as we've discussed, may be Disney or maybe somebody else if Disney doesn't act quickly enough. Yeah. One of the things I want to note about Roku that we really haven't talked about yet, we had a lot of fun during the heady days early in the pandemic when Roku could do no wrong and it's since come way back to earth. It's in danger now of becoming the same thing that TiVo was back in the day. If you're familiar with it, TiVo was kind of the first mainstream DVR that achieved relevance in the marketplace. Roku has done that as well. TiVo waited so long to improve and move off its main thing that it kind of just became a patent lawsuit machine. That's really all it does at this point that in any way keeps it relevant today. Roku still has plenty of opportunities to improve itself, but it's kind of gotten stuck in the same path and they've tried to get content for it. You know, they got the uh, this old house license and some other stuff, but it hasn't moved the needle much. And so I agree. I mean, it actually has gotten to the point where there is so much availability that it's a buyer's market. And it wouldn't surprise me if an unseen player suddenly starts going, well, why don't we get on in on this the same way that Raul is discussing with Blackstone, where you invest now and then you sell later for a profit. There are plenty of opportunities to do that right now if you're cash heavy, which unfortunately most media companies are not. So I'm going to actually tease you a little bit with this one, David. I think uh, the two biggest wrestling promotions out there, WWE and AEW, could well be bought or may even be in the business of buying in 2023. I'd say WWE is the easiest grab. They currently have a partnership with Comcast through their streaming deal on Peacock. It'd be really easy for Comcast to expand their portfolio and go right ahead and buy out the entire company, WWE, for AEW, maybe I've been looking at this one the wrong way. It seems that president and CEO Tony Khan has little interest or incentive to sell, but he definitely wants to be in the streaming business. Unfortunately, he's been dealing with Warner Bros. Discovery over the last few years, and that hasn't really played out well for anyone. But with his dad being one of the wealthiest people in the world, maybe the Khan family are looking to buy themselves a streaming service or a studio. Any thoughts on that? I think that is a tantalizing proposition that I honestly had not considered until this moment. Now, one of the things we, we've discussed this in the past, you've mentioned, hey, maybe AEW would sell. And Tim and Kim and I have all three said we don't think that'll happen. They're worth $11 billion. And this has kind of always been Tony Khan's dream since he was a child. He is basically doing fantasy wrestling booking 
for real because mm-hmm. he can afford it. And the interesting thing about the company is his father kind of said, I'm going to pay to do this because it's going to be the money I leave you in the will anyway. You might as well go ahead right now, try and do it and show that you have the business acumen. Will he get a little more ambitious? Because I think everyone would agree, and Tim's the harshest critic, so I'll probably tag him in on this, but I think everyone would agree AEW has exceeded expectations across the board and demonstrated he knows what he's doing with this. Does he know what he's doing if he buys, let's say, stars? I don't think those two things have much commonality. But who knows? It would be absolutely hysterical to me, though, if after all this, that it wound up that Tony Khan bought Warner Brothers Discovery instead (laughs) of the other way around. It it is objectively hilarious how in the last six months that's actually become realistic, a slightly realistic possibility. I mean, that's the thing. It's not like a high possibility, but there's like a 1% chance. It's it's very, it's plausible. It doesn't, it doesn't mean it will happen. It probably won't happen, but the idea is extremely plausible. Yeah. And I'll hop in here too. And I feel very sure that AEW is not selling because just over the last couple of weeks, I feel like Khan's been heavily hinting that Ring of Honor is about to find a streaming home. Not like officially announcing anything, but teasing it and and they had a recent pay-per-view that was excellent mm-hmm. and he did a lot of teasing of what could be coming soon. Yeah, I think they, they actually, the initial announcement was that they're bringing back, uh, I believe it was called Honor Club, which is something they had, like a subscription service they had when they were an independent company prior to them folding and then the brand name being picked up by by Tony Khan. But we were kind of hoping, people were kind of hoping that it meant just getting on TV somewhere or at least on a on a streaming service, but it's a start. The only other thing I could see happening is he does want to get a streaming deal bad enough that, you know, a percentage of the company could could go to whoever he he decides to, you know, whoever wants to sign on. Yeah, I will say that Sports Business Journal did the other story, which is as one of their predictions said, hey, maybe just maybe NBC decides it's cleaner to buy WWE. And I think that that makes sense in a lot of ways, but it keeps going back to the same flaw we always have to bring up when we talk about any of this with what money. I mean, Universal just offered buyouts to its most experienced theme park creators, including the person who invented the Wizarding World of Harry Potter. You have to realize that person is responsible for hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue, if not billions of dollars. And they offered him a buyout and he took it because that's how broke they are. They need numbers off the books in 2023. I have to think just, you know, spitballing a number here, WWE is probably worth four or five billion dollars. Tim, does that sound right to you? My high, low, what what do you think? No, no, that, that sounds about right to me. Okay. So let's say five billion dollars. Do we really think Comcast has that money? But the flip side is there's also the inverse of this. Peacock can not lose WWE right now. I mean, I mean, we joke about the content quality a lot, but nobody's going to deny the fact that it is basically one of the foundational parts of the Peacock Network at this point. So it's WWE it, and Yellowstone, and that's you can't. I don't know if you can survive on on Yellowstone alone. So <laughs> that amount of the amount of subscribers that they essentially inherited, and I'm sure the vast majority of just transition their WWE networks subscriptions into rolling Peacock subscriptions and not 
cancel is saving them right now. So it passes the plausibility test in terms of how it helps them. No one's going to argue that. It's just how they make that financing work. And the flip side is other companies are aware of what it's done for Peacock. And they're probably thinking, well, if the worst streaming service can do that, what could we do with it? And I think that's completely viable. And so, you know, a bidding war could take place here. So we're saying 5 billion, you know, it could turn out to be substantially more than that. It really could. And we don't know. So we're kind of it's an interesting hypothetical in many, many ways. And I will say my prediction here on this particular comment is if Peacock does lose WWE, you can go ahead and say it right now. Peacock's not going to be around in 2025. Yep, absolutely agree. Well, firstly, I, I could just imagine Tony Khan's pitch to Warner Bros. Discovery shareholders. Come on, guys. I can't possibly do any worse. <laughs> you know, one of the things I've seen speculated in a different prediction this year, Raul and I were discussing this offline, is the possibility of a proxy fight within Warner Brothers Discovery because Zaslav has seemed so incompetent and it's caused problems. So, you know, in that kind of scenario, somebody who looks like they know what they're doing would be appealing. Uh, again, this is all wild hypotheticals here. We're not expecting any of this to happen, but it does kind of reflect the fact that less expensive live sports, the value of that is just off the charts now. And we'll explore that a little bit more in a, a different section. And, and, and that that's why we keep talking about wrestling, because this is essentially the equivalent of that. This is very cheap live sports that draws in significant amount of viewers for both WWE and AEW. At one point, we could demonstrate that WWE programming was responsible for 12% of all Peacock subscribers. We don't know if those numbers have gone up as Peacock has gone up. Currently, the numbers we have for Peacock, 18 million subscribers, 30 million viewers. We don't know if 1.8 million of them are subscribing because of WWE or not, but it is a massive percentage relative to what they're getting. And so to touch on something else you brought up a moment ago, David, looks like it's Thierry Coop, who was the executive at uh, Universal, who uh, had steered the creation of the Wizarding World of Harry Potter and apparently also Super Nintendo World. Correct. It's insane. They've got uh, Super Nintendo World is basically going to define the next 10 years of success at multiple Universal Parks, including, you know, the one that already exists in uh, Japan and the one that's going to debut in February in uh, Hollywood. And then there's one coming in 2025, possibly 2024 in Orlando, Florida. And they got rid of those people who planned that. And you want to talk about short sighted. It doesn't come any stupider than that. I hope those buyouts had non-compete clauses because the only other company out there that's hiring this kind of talent is Disney. And you sure know that that's the first door they're going to go knocking on. Well, this is also, as you know, because, you know, you're great about theme park history. This is repeating itself. The reason some of these people were at Universal was because Disney did layoffs in the 1990s. There was something called Beastly Kingdom. Beastly Kingdom was supposed to be part of Animal Kingdom. It never happened. I touch on this on one of my books. And some of the same people who worked on that project suddenly found themselves at Universal. And not coincidentally, there is a dragon on Gringotts Bank at Universal Studios in uh, Orlando that looks eerily similar to blueprints that you will find for Disney's Beastly Kingdom. So if they do find themselves back at Disney, it won't be for the first time in some instances, and it'll be a fascinating full circle scenario. 
Okay, let's see. I'm going to touch on uh, some potential bidding wars and, in fact, ownership fights. And that, and so we start with Hulu. The, the Hulu issue is going to be coming to a head in 2023. We've said it a million times at this point. Disney will have to pay a multi-billion dollar settlement to Comcast at some point in the next few months to buy Comcast out of their Hulu share. Comcast still has a share of Hulu and Disney needs to buy them out. It's part of their contractual agreement, unless Disney can find a buy for Hulu. That buyer may be Comcast, although as David pointed out earlier, with what money? Comcast is, what, $50 billion in debt? But if Comcast feels that their streaming service, Peacock, is simply just not up to snuff, they may be looking around for a different streaming service with a built-in audience. Now, granted, none of the content comes with Hulu, but Comcast still might want to buy Hulu for the subscriber base. But if Comcast is not interested, maybe Disney will find themselves a another buyer for Hulu and make it somebody else's problem or even spin off the company if they can uh, figure out some sneaky way of doing that and offloading all that responsibility on the company itself, a lot like how AT&T spun off DirecTV and uh, set them adrift to, as we're going to bring up later, essentially die. (laughs) Yeah, a lot of what's going to happen in the industry People are going to look and see what Disney does first. And I say that because Disney has two pervasive questions right now that are going to linger and are going to require resolution before some other businesses can do some stuff. There's Hulu and there's also ESPN because we're starting to see a lot more chatter that Disney may spin off ESPN. Now, most of it is like, you know, analysts trying to pressure Disney into doing it. But the idea got floated around. Bob Chappick slapped it away and actually brought the activist investor who said it brought one of his people onto the board of directors so that they could see from the inside how it didn't make any sense. Now Iger's back and they've got somebody else who's just started again. And I don't know if they're trying to get a seat on the board or or what, but people think that it doesn't matter how much money ESPN makes. They think that it creates brand confusion that Disney owns this. And while I hate that thought process, it is lingering. And with Disney stock currently hovering in the mid eighties right now, they might just go ahead and claim their books and get rid of Hulu and ESPN both. I wouldn't do that. I would strongly recommend against that, but you're right. We have to allow for the possibility and we're kind of in stasis until they decide one way or the other. The difference, of course, with getting rid of ESPN is that all the deals, all the sporting contracts that ESPN has would go with it and Disney would essentially be out of the live sports business, which as we just discussed is a very important element of streaming. Disney would have to start up from scratch and start creating new sporting licenses. I mean, we should just acknowledge the fact that if they did this, they would probably be saying live sports has gotten too expensive. We're out. Yeah. Netflix doesn't do live sports and Netflix is doing fine. That is correct. So then a couple of the potential bidding wars on the horizon, uh, one of which is the Embracer Group, the Swedish video game company that quietly became an IP monster over the last couple of years. This is a company that's been buying up a lot of intellectual property and, in fact, entire companies recently. They bought Dark Horse Comics. They bought the rights. They own Tomb Raider. You look at this and you realize clearly they're setting themselves up for something, a lot like these other companies I described as fattening themselves up so that they can then be bought. Now, granted, uh, Embracer Group is a multi-billion dollar company at this point, and for someone to buy them would be challenging, but they'd be a great feather in somebody's cap if someone were to buy them or in some way merge with them. There is probably going to be some legal issues given that it is an overseas-owned company.
company is a Swedish company, but Embracer hasn't been buying up all these assets for nothing. And then there's the other story we mentioned recently where uh, toy maker Hasbro has been looking to sell off their Entertainment One or E1 assets, especially those unrelated to their toy licenses. This could spark a bidding war, most likely between Disney and Netflix. I'll grant you that these uh, buyouts are less likely now that the Department of Justice has become more emboldened, but uh, one more potential buyout is Paramount. This is the crux of almost everyone's predictions for 2023. Uh, With the Department of Justice really looking to stifle mega mergers, maybe Paramount is small enough that it'll pass muster. Netflix is a potential suitor as uh, the Star Trek IP would be very appealing to a company still trying to launch successful franchises. But as we mentioned earlier, Microsoft may also be looking to buy themselves a studio and with Paramount producing the Halo series, maybe Paramount is the right partner to bring Redmond to Hollywood. Let's see, I'm going to cover two more things. One is that, well, Warner Brothers Discovery. They're in massive financial straits. There's no light at the end of the tunnel for them. And I think they're too big for anyone to buy them. At least right now in this current environment, the Department of Justice is probably not going to allow anyone to buy them. And the only suitors that have been mentioned have been Comcast. When you get one company with $50 billion in debt and you get another company with $50 billion in debt uh, and you merge them, you get one single company with $100 billion in debt. That is not a good thing. No, I don't think Comcast and Warner Brothers Discovery are merging anytime soon. No, I think Warner Brothers Discovery is going to continue to bury its properties. And once the tax year ends, the tax write-offs will no longer be feasible because you only have a small window in which you can do these tax write-offs after a merger. So they're going to have to start selling assets. Top of the list, probably their video game division. This is the video game division that's put out these uh, fantastically popular Batman Arkham Asylum games. What is right now WB Games is essentially Atari. It's been bought and sold and bought and sold and bought and sold by Warner Brothers like three times. It's the same company over and over again, and they keep adding and shedding assets. I think this is a very company that owns like Centipede and Asteroids. And if they're not going to make a Centipede or Asteroids movie anytime soon. It may well be time for Warner Bros. Discovery to sell the game studio but that's just one of their many assets. The irony is that the assets that are probably the easiest to sell off, we're talking about like HGTV or Discovery Channel because they're not at all integrated with anything else within the company, are probably not the ones that are going to get sold off. They're probably going to try to do something like sell off DC Comics in a weird way where like, oh, you own DC Comics and all the Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman properties, but we continue to make movies about them. That would just create more licensing nightmares. But yeah, that's probably something some other half-assed thing that they're going to try to do. They're going to do everything they can to make this company profitable. And if that means winnowing down the company to a lemonade stand on the corner where they spend 10 cents making lemonade and sell to you for a quarter, Zaslav can then say, hey, we're profitable, but now we're only selling lemonade. It's just a terrible situation for them. They backed themselves into this corner. They could have done this differently. And right now, while everyone in Hollywood is is smiling and saying, oh, yeah, we'll still do business with Warner Brothers, the way they have behaved, the way they have canceled projects and buried projects, you know, on the back end, the agents are not happy and uh, they're going to be playing hardball with Warner Brothers. It's going to be harder for Warner Brothers to get talent, to make movies for them, to make TV shows for them. And no longer can you say, make a show for us and it's going to be on HBO because that no longer carries the prestige it used to. It's so sad. 
And my last note, I know I've been going on for a while, but I'm going to say here that in this modern era of streaming and cord cutting, companies like Dish Network, DirecTV, and Bally Sports are going to cease to exist. How it all finally plays out is going to be messy. I mean, companies like Tumblr, AOL, and MySpace still exist today, but they're largely in name only. What really happens to brands like Dish or DirecTV in 2023? I think one possibility is that the little streaming service that could, FUBU, might actually be buy up one of these companies and rebrand itself simply for the name recognition. Dish Network actually already has its own streaming service, Sling TV, so it may be appealing to a streaming service like FUBU to buy Dish and merge itself with Sling TV and almost overnight to double their subscribers. That's one option, but these are old school companies that have no place in the modern world, and we're actually going to touch on why DirecTV in particular probably isn't going to be around much longer. Yep. And then I have one one thought for next year, and it is one that a lot of people are probably not going to be super happy about. I do think we're going to start to see the end of password sharing. I mean, we probably have already started to see the end of it, but Netflix has or estimates that there are 100 million users that are using a shared password. And they're ready to say, we want your money. You have options. There's the ad-supported version if you want to do that. And we'll take your money and we'll serve you ads and make money that way. So I think we'll see that change. It's something that was born of the pandemic. People happily shared passwords to communally watch a lot of shows. But Netflix is done with that. The worst part is, is once Netflix does it, they're going to give They'll all, all do it. Companies. Yeah, everyone else will follow immediately. Though I, I think, I mean, they can obviously trace it by IP and whatnot, but. Being logged into the account at the same time from two different locations, yeah, that they'll 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 all stop that sometime during the year. And the other thing I want to stress about this, if Kim's right, and I'm pretty sure she is, the software they're using for detection is by all accounts terrible. In some remote instances, they have identified people in different rooms of the house as being in different cities. <laughs> it's that inaccurate. So we're going to need good customer service to clear these issues up. And let's be honest, one of the other things that's happening is just an absolute deterioration in uh, customer service on streaming because that costs money people don't have. And I guess that brings it to me. And I'll go ahead and add that my first one is kind of a cowardly prediction, but it's absolutely true that I expect chaos in 2023. Nobody seems to have any idea what the economy will do. I hear the darkest possible predictions. Then the, eh, I think the worst is over predictions. I think there's validity on both sides of that. I do. So it's got streaming service executives in an absolute panic and understandably so because a lot of them are broke right now, as we're saying, and they don't know what they should anticipate. Should they? you know, streamline even more? Is that even possible? I don't know. We've got a bunch of people in over their heads and the rules have changed and the new rules don't really align with the plans that we had in place long term that, you know, we're actually set up 2019, 2020. It's like a cruise ship. You can't turn it around immediately. It's going to take some time because it's a vessel that's long and wide. So we're in the same boat here and everybody's just scrambling to avoid losing this game of musical chairs, which is why so many of Roll's predictions have that hint of credibility to them that you can buy them in the right scenario just as you know you can find a reason not to support them and that's the thing about these predictions isn't it Raul I mean everything you're saying has validity to it how many of them do you honestly expect are viable um 
the stars have to align to make all of these work in certain scenarios. A couple of them are inevitable. When you see companies like Lionsgate putting themselves up for sale, you know that someone's going to have to buy them, uh, even if it's a, just an equity firm. But when times are tough and money's hard to come by, it all depends. There are more likely scenarios than not. We've heard some crazy predictions. We saw, again, the prediction about Apple buying Disney. And again, I am going to say that is absurd on its face. Even if that was ever to pass muster with the Department of Justice, I just don't see the reason why Disney would sell or Apple would buy. It makes no sense. These are more reasonable predictions, the ones I have made, than something as blue sky insane as Apple buying Disney. Exactly. That's mm -hmm. the thing about most of these predictions is the outlandish stuff claims all the headlines, but makes the least amount of sense. Whereas, you know, the calm, understated stuff, Kim's talking about the cracking down password sharing. That is almost certainly going to come to pass, but that's, you know, not the type of story people want to hear. Similarly, the reality is that what Zaslov's doing with WBD, I hate it. I mean, I absolutely hate it. But they will dump some assets successfully. They'll probably license them out for an extended period of time. And it'll work kind of like we've seen with the uh, the Batman prequel about Alfred the Butler, where, you know, it was made for a different competing network. But eventually the rights are going to go back where you can show it on HBO Max, which will probably call, be called Max by then. These are the types of business moves that make sense for a quick buck, but aren't a good long term strategy. And that's what we're looking at right now. So. The only concern I've got when I talk about these deals is if I'm thinking about this deal, why am I doing it right now? Because does any of us have faith that Zaslav will turn around the ship in the next 12 to 18 months? Serious question. Yeah, your silence is definitely. My vote is no. Yeah. Yeah. I'd, I'd say no. I don't see how they return to profitability. Zaslav has a plan. We just don't know what it is yet. The speculation is that they're going to launch their own free ad supported streaming service, their own fast service. But how that ends up making them billions of dollars in the next 12 months so that they can start digging their way out of debt, I don't know how when other fast services like Pluto TV don't make that kind of money and they're are well established. So, it's like being fifty thousand dollars in debt and thereby not ordering fries with your Big Mac. I mean, mm -hmm. it is not a viable solution for the big problem. It's just a little short problem they're trying to fix, and it drives me crazy. And that's kind of what I'm looking at here. And that is, yes, Comcast and Warner Brothers Discovery can make a quick buck by licensing their content to content-reliant services that happen to have deep pockets like Netflix, like Disney. But is that going to create a buyer's market? Yes, I think it will. Probably. Will that create a new wave of licensing nightmares? Oh, you bet your bottom dollar it absolutely will. And it just, it drives me crazy. And while I've got Disney on the mind, I'm going to go ahead and add, I've mentioned this before, but I'm going to emphasize it right now as a prediction. I do believe that Iger is going to do everything within his power to find a way to stay for four years. He tried retirement. He didn't like it. We know he didn't like it. And we also know that his wife, not everyone's fond of their partner. So it's always a little weird when I say, you know, so-and-so's spouse who they're incredibly fond of. But we all know some relationships are better than others. Iger and Willow Bay are very much in love. And she is contractually obligated to not be at home. She's going to be working as the Dean of Communication and Journalism at USC through March of 2027, which means there is very little incentive for Iger to quit his job before 2027. Does anyone disagree with that? 
I do not think he will leave before 2027 or at the very least 2026. His wife is working. He didn't seem happy in retirement and he didn't seem happy watching someone else run the show. I mean, we know he was very unhappy watching someone else run the show and that he disagreed with many decisions that were made. I think we'll see him at Disney for a good long time and he's going to try to re-cement his legacy that maybe he feels was a little bit tarnished with JPEG coming in and doing some damage. If this does work out in the mastermind scenario that Raul and some others have speculated, it will kind of cement that Iger is one of the finest minds we've ever had in charge of any type of Wall Street company, legitimately. that That is not hyperbole. And that's kind of where I'm at with it, where I think he undermined Chapek repeatedly. There was a Wall Street Journal story that just came out that was just shocking in how many different ways Iger was reportedly telling people, just skip JPEG and come to me. I, I just want to hear what's going on. It's not the what you do when you want to position a, your successor to succeed. It's as simple as that. And then Raul's hit on the other thing I expect. As we evaluate the landscape, we know that licensing rights for movies and television have grown saturated. There's just no getting around that. It's possible that they might have even peaked. Like, we'll look back at this as the worst it ever got for pricing this stuff, and it starts gradually eroding from there a little bit. So if it does that, you look around, you see, and we've talked about this on the podcast before, but I feel it strongly and Raul just listed several uh, reasons why earlier. I expect video game licenses to become the next gold rush for mergers and acquisitions. It's the Halo scenario we discussed where you kind of realize people want to watch this stuff because we've said it many times and we 100% mean it. Halo is hot garbage on Paramount Plus, and yet it is also one of, if not the most popular program in Paramount Plus history thus far. Imagine if it was good. I mean, that's that's a strange addition to have to make to the <laughs> comment, but it's true. How big would it be if like everyone watched it and loved it on top of everything else? And so these are the types of things I'm seeing as the next gold rush for mergers and acquisitions. Well, since we're talking about acquisitions anyway, we should go right into our deep dive because there was a great big acquisition this week, right? That's right. The NFL Sunday ticket sweepstakes is over and the winner is Google. Yeah, I would actually say that the winner is also Kim and David. Uh, <laughs> YouTube TV and we're huge, huge YouTube users. So this was this was a big deal for us. And it also kind of exemplified the importance of timing. We have been talking about what was going to happen with the NFL Sunday ticket for the body of two years on this podcast. And the reality is it's kind of anticlimactic. Based on the reports I've read, the finalists were Apple, Amazon, and Google, and Google won. And there's a name omitted from that, and that is Disney because, this circles back to the timing, Disney had reached a point where it could no longer overpay to gain subscribers, which was the Wall Street model entering 2022, but wasn't the one we used for most of 2022. So Disney can no longer write that blank check and figure that Wall Street would support them on it. And for that reason, something we speculated would get at least 2.5 billion, if not 3 billion annually, turned out to only get a modest increase. It is now going to be 2 billion a year that Google is paying, which you know is nothing to Google, whereas it had been 1.5 billion a year for DirecTV, which DirecTV TV could 
no longer afford because they're so broke right now. Just a fascinating conglomeration of events. NFL Sunday Ticket waited a year to announce this because they didn't want to finalize the bidding until it was basically ready to be off DirecTV, which has been the broadcast partner on this since the 90s. And I thought that how the NFL handled this was shockingly classy of them, which isn't often how I describe the NFL. And yet the way they did it has cost them at least $500 million a year, if not a billion dollars a year, which over the life of the contract, which is seven years, is between $3.5 and $7 billion. And I'm going to go ahead and emphasize this part as well. Disney knew it was a bad look that they didn't get this because the original ESPN headline on the website about this was that Google wins the bidding. Later on, they change it to make it sound like a massive overpay that Google had spent $14 billion for it. Well, sure, but you know they're spending $2 billion a year for the next seven years. So it is not $14 billion as one lump sum. It was something Disney absolutely could have slash should have afforded, but the rules changed in 2022, so they couldn't even make a viable bid. David, surely you're not implying that corporate boardroom decisions are influencing ESPN editorial. I mean... Uh, but okay, so logistically, NFL Sunday Ticket is going to play a lot like, in fact, what Apple TV is doing with uh, Major League Soccer, where you don't have to be a YouTube TV subscriber to uh, get NFL Sunday Ticket. That is correct. However, and I want to emphasize this, YouTube TV was the key selling point here in that the NFL was not completely ready to abandon linear television. You can understand why. They're actually getting record ratings this year, which is impossible given the decline of uh, subscribers for linear television. So for this reason, the idea of this joint package appealed to them where you don't have to have YouTube TV to just watch the games on Sunday. But if you do have YouTube TV, you can subscribe to the package and you can also gain the DVR access, which means that if you subscribe to YouTube TV and you watch a game in September, you should probably still have ability to watch it 11 months later on the service. Sometimes it's as much as three years in our experience on YouTube TV. I don't know how that's going to work actually with this particular product, but the NFL wanted to make sure that skinny bundles were at least a modified version of what they'd had with DirecTV. They weren't ready to completely abandon the proven formula. And for that reason, Amazon and Apple just couldn't quite compete because financially, this is not a big, splashy number the way that everyone had expected. And that genuinely fascinates me. But just for Kim and I, we were just basically high-fiving earlier because we've got YouTube TV, we use it, and we were having to order this direct TV package. And Kim, it's gotten aggressively bad in 2022, hasn't it? It has. There's been times when we've had outages, errors, error messages. They had to do a refund one week or at least a partial one. It has not been handled well. And honestly, I cannot wait for Google to take it over. And that's the two other aspects of this conversation we haven't covered yet. First of all, this is the death knell for DirecTV. It's going to be much like linear television itself. This is the end for DirecTV, which had 20 million subscribers five years ago and is down to 13.5 million now. And many of those people were subscribing specifically because they got NFL Sunday ticket for free as part of their subscription. They're going to lose that incentive. They're going to have much, much less reason to subscribe to the service. And the flip side of that coin is, in a way, 
And I'm not saying it'll definitely happen the way I'm seeing it right now, but the NFL also kind of forced YouTube TV to commit to exist for seven more years. It can go exclusively to YouTube. That would be okay. But they're kind of now pot committed to saying that they're going to offer skinny bundles for another seven years. And that's an interesting bet with the current linear television climate. So David, let me ask you this. As a YouTube TV subscriber, which you are, when you wanted to watch NFL Sunday Ticket, how did you watch your NFL games? A streaming app on the Roku and also sometimes on my tablet when we're driving. Now that it is moving to YouTube and YouTube TV, a person who has subscribed to NFL Sunday Ticket will have to watch what to see their football games. I mean, YouTube would be fine and everyone has access to YouTube, but you would have to pay for the package. And the same thing is true of YouTube TV. Google bid on this for the first time with YouTube in 2014, and the NFL wasn't ready to commit to that yet. And that's what left them in this additional extended contract with DirecTV. Not much is going to change because we have gradually evolved to that. The biggest change is going to be for the people who've been using just the satellite television service because they're now going to have to figure out how to use it. But for Kim and I, we tried to have satellite TV most recently. Kim, how did that go oh yes yes we didn't really have a place they could put it and yeah they wanted us to just leave our window open all the time i'd forgotten that yeah they uh they couldn't put the satellite on the side like they expected and so their solution to us was what if we put the satellite dish inside where it stares out the window but because of the cords and whatnot we're gonna have to leave that window cracked all the time you know we were kind of looking at them like you've heard of winter right also we have cats but that was the best thing you could do at the time satellite television has very strange constraints that people don't think about. Internet television, what we call streaming now, is basically internet television works much differently and it's much more convenient. So this is the move that should have happened a while ago, but the NFL wasn't ready to do it yet. Yeah. And that's what I've been getting at here is that at least historically, if you were the guy who wanted to watch NFL Sunday Ticket on a television and didn't want to have to deal with apps, you subscribed to DirecTV and then you essentially had old school linear television for you to watch those games. That is the gamble that the NFL has taken today, where they have decided that anyone who wants to watch NFL Sunday Ticket needs an app. It could be an app on your phone. It could be an app on your desktop, but it most likely is going to be an app on your smart TV or set-top box. So they are admitting that at some point, everyone who is a subscriber to NFL Sunday Ticket who wants to watch on their television vision is going to be a set-top box user. That is something that was not in play previously with DirecTV, so long as you were a DirecTV subscriber. We have really turned the page here away from the cord and linear TV and into the world of apps and streaming. Yes. And from a user perspective, if you're listening to this, this is the perfect time for this to happen because we've now got instances like T-Mobile where T-Mobile is offering Wi-Fi broadband that is high speed for $25 a month. And it's like a long-term contract too. You can like guarantee the price. So we have finally reached that point where cheap internet is readily available. And so the fact that you're going to watch sports over your high speed internet this is almost accidentally perfect timing for the NFL to do this, even though I still think they should have done it five or six years ago. All right. Now that we have 
predicted the future. Tim, tell us about the box office. Well, we're recording a little early because of the holidays, uh, but we can tell you that after our initial excitement last weekend, Avatar The Way of Water had a weekend of $134.1 million. And that made people very mad for some reason, even though that's actually kind of great if on the lower end of expectations, because that's not where the first Avatar went bananas. It didn't jump out of the gate as an absolute blockbuster. It did pretty well, but the days that followed is where it became an absolute juggernaut. And so far that's continued. It's going to be bigger over the week between Christmas and New Year's, but it's done pretty well for itself in just these first couple of days of this week. It's at $183 million as of as of Wednesday, because we are recording on Thursday, which means it'll be at $200 million before Christmas. And while the calendar configuration here is at the absolute worst possible one, because Christmas Eve being a Saturday and Christmas being a Sunday is not ideal, that whole next week, though, is going going to be absolutely massive. So that's when we'll be absolutely off to the races. Yeah, we kind of touched on this last week, but I'll spell it out just a little bit more. The first Avatar opened to 77 million, and then it made 75.6 million the second weekend. On its first Monday, it made 16.4 million. On its first Tuesday, 16.1. On its first Wednesday, 16.4. You get the point from here. And I can also go ahead and reinforce Tim's point, which is on Christmas Eve, it dropped to 11.2 million. That wasn't because demand diminished for the product. It's because Christmas Eve on a Saturday, Christmas Eve in general, is what we call an Mm anti-holiday. People travel on that day or they do family things, so they're not as likely to go to the movie theater. However, Christmas Day makes enough money that the two days in combination kind of work as they should. On Christmas Day, Avatar made 23 million. We are seeing similar signs with Way of Water, where it has averaged 16 million a day domestically in its first three days. My only concern about this is it did drop from Tuesday to Wednesday, and it dropped a fairly noticeable amount. So it's also, and this is one of the things we're, we're all flying blind here and learning new behaviors. It's also possible that this one is already starting to run out of steam. We'll know more in a while, but I've been thinking that it would be at 350 million domestically and 1.5 billion worldwide by early January. And I I feel like that's viable, Tim. Would you agree or disagree? Yeah, no, absolutely. We need a few more data points, but next week is when what really matters as to where it ends up before its final box office destinations. That's that's going to be the big big money week. And if the numbers aren't quite up what we were expecting, then then there's reason to to worry. But I, I still need to see more more information at, at this point. It's still way too early. Okay. And so that's all anyone has done lately and there's no other stories, right? Uh at least in box office, yes. <laughs> Did anything happen? Streaming? Well, what about a few weeks before Avatar was released, maybe? Oh, okay. So I guess we're looking at the ratings then, huh? I, I guess we could do that. All right. Yeah, we have the Nielsen streaming ratings for Monday, November 21st through Sunday, November 27th, 2022. This includes the week of Thanksgiving, so people had some time to watch some stuff. And uh, <laughs> they all pretty much watched one thing. There's <laughs> Outside of this, it's not a big week to talk about. We, we'll, we'll go through the list as usual, but... Uh, yeah, we've been dancing around it for weeks now because some data comes out before these Nielsen ratings do because they're they're a month behind. But Wednesday arrived on, appropriately enough, a, a Wednesday, the day before okay. Thanksgiving. Before you tell me how it does, I'm going to take a giant sip of water. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, yeah. How do you like 5.9 billion minutes? <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
Uh, I'm I, sorry. Did you say this, it basically made six billion minutes? Six billion. Yeah. Five, yeah. So essentially, six billion minutes viewed for just eight episodes of the show in oh five days. All right. Allow hell? me to make a bold prediction. I think that we will have a second season of Wednesday. Yeah, oddly they haven't announced that yet, which is just weird, but it's obvious at this point. But this is ridiculous. How how did this happen? This is not a show that I would have expected to just basically be Stranger Things. With, with just, with, with like, Stranger Things wishes. With, with, right, I, with, like, uh, a, with like a fifth of the episodes, yeah. I saw a lot of people in my social media circles watching this, so I'm surprised. I'm not saying I'm not surprised, but I was expecting very big things here. I do have a uh, licensing nightmare note that may relate to the uh, renewal conversation here. Yeah, you've you've been you've been waiting for this one for. Oh yeah, no, I've been sitting on this one for weeks. Wednesday is produced by MGM Television, as we know. In 2022, Amazon bought MGM and they own MGM Television. Netflix has to make a deal with Amazon to renew Wednesday for season two. are we even doing at this point (laughs) i mean on the plus side it's not a warner brothers production so at least we don't have zaslav going i would like my money now (laughs) at least (laughs) yeah i do kind of love that we've gradually turned david zaslav into see montgomery burns in our brains i think that's a nice (laughs) touch Is there a possibility then that somehow like Amazon was like, um, you know, what? I think we'd like the second season of this show on our streaming service. I'm sure there's a lot of moving pieces here. I assume Netflix having aired season one has some kind of right of first refusal or something. So they probably get that second season and Amazon might just play some hardball with them. But in a matter of years, it could very well be that if you want to watch Wednesday, you have to be watching it on Prime Video. That is where we are when you license your content out to other people. It's just how it plays. A lot like literally the first original streaming show that played on uh, Netflix was Lillehammer. And after 10 years, that show is no longer on Netflix. Years from now, if you want to watch Wednesday and you go to Netflix, you might not find it there. And then you're going to have to go find it elsewhere. On a tangent, I want to throw out the fact that Jenny Ortega, the star of Wednesday, is not currently in the MCU or even in Sony's Spider-Man universe. But I feel like that'll change like within days i mean seriously this 20 year old woman has just become one of the most recognizable faces in the world in a month i mean it's just astounding this isn't like the first thing that she's done either she was actually recognizable from you uh another that's, you know stream that's exactly right and, and she was an X, which was a horror film that came out earlier this year yeah Funnily enough, her one of her first film roles was a probably it was apparently like a minor background character in Iron Man three. So if she ends up in the MCU as a major character, that would be quite the glow up. Oh my god, that's awesome! She doesn't even have a name. Her role is Vice President's daughter. Uh, but anyway, yeah, that is the big excitement for the week on these ratings. People spent their Thanksgiving watching Wednesday. Uh, but Netflix did have a pretty decent week overall. Uh, second is Dead to Me. We saw that return last week. One point four billion minutes for third episodes for the first full week of availability of its third season. Again, it's mostly shows we've seen before. 1899 is still here with 1.1 billion minutes in third. Uh, the Crown in fourth, uh, also 1.11 billion. So 
four shows over a billion for Netflix and uh, one more to go. Uh, Manifest still here in fifth, just under a billion, 988 million. Andor from Disney Plus, its season is complete, so it does take a jump up to 674 million minutes for its 12 total episodes. Disney Plus, the shows always get that binge factor when their season completes, and then we may not even see it next week after people check it out, but this was very well received, and I would imagine if they can make a season two out of it, they absolutely will in the future. Pepsi, Where's My Get? is still here in fourth, 445 million, million minutes for its four episodes. A little bit more on that later. Another new show, though, from Disney Plus in eighth, The Santa Clauses, 372 million minutes for three episodes. The first two episodes premiered on November 16th and the third on the 23rd. So, and then they were weekly from, from here, just through mid-December. So only a, uh, a six-episode season. Not often that we get two Disney Plus shows in the top 10. Yeah, apparently once we hit Thanksgiving, uh, people turn to the Christmas stuff and more on that when we hit the movies list in a minute. But that's actually a pretty good number and kind of shows that the Santa Claus franchise slash Tim Allen still have some clout. Uh, Inside Job is a show we've actually seen before. The second season arrived on Netflix and it had 360 million minutes viewed for 18 episodes. And we wrap up originals with The Great British Baking Show, 344 million minutes for its 85 total episodes. Movies is led by Slumberland. We saw that last week. Cracked 1 billion minutes. So that's actually really impressive and kind of surprising for this uh, Jason Momoa fantasy adventure film, really. Yeah, that's pretty surprising i think it really it is little nemo in slumberland correct it's a an adaptation of that if i'm not mistaken uh yes it is i guess people wanted to watch jason momoa doing stuff <laughs> yeah that that's he's he certainly got his got his fans uh we do have something new in second the noel diary uh, 707 million minutes or noel diary I, I suppose another christmas film from netflix arrived on the 24th have you seen this one yet david i have not the only one of the netflix ones i've watched is the uh the amy garcia film oh, okay Lindsay lohan is very disappointed in you then she knows what she did mean girl <laughs> uh where the car dead sing in third 591 million minutes disenchanted from disney plus 565 million minutes and then again christmas we have the return of home alone in fifth 477 million minutes uh this is mildly interesting because only for the second time ever we have an apple tv plus show on the list yeah. Uh, and, yeah and this is the first movie that they've ever they've ever had the only time we've ever seen them is the later end of ted lasso's second season uh, but here is spirited 444 million minutes ryan yeah, reynolds apple, king of streaming media absolutely apple said this is their biggest streaming movie so i okay, anticipated cool. it would show up here here it is okay good it's nice to know that people are actually watching that because they do have a bunch of acclaimed stuff that i keep meaning to get to and never never do slow horses is currently on on my list mm-hmm. and i never have time among other things i mean i heard this wasn't great but i'm sure if it's your thing and you you can handle ryan reynolds shit because he's the same person in everything he does i'm sure you enjoyed it especially if it was holiday themed uh, the Bad Guys is in seventh, 420 million minutes. Falling for Christmas is still here, 350 million minutes in eighth. We have The Return of Elf. This is on HBO Max, 299 million minutes because, again, Christmas. And wrapping up movies, hey, it's Peacock with Nope, 297 million minutes. We saw that arrive last week. Acquired is 10 shows we've seen before, nothing new and exciting this week, led by NCIS, 811 million minutes. I will point out that Peacock is second with Yellowstone with 736 million minutes. But not, nothing else worth uh, mentioning on, on the list this week. But yeah, it's just that Wednesday number we knew was going to hit like a hammer. What the hell? And it ends up being Netflix's second most watched show in the first 
uh, month of, of its run. So it's going to dominate for another week or two. And we will bring you those numbers next week, as long as Nielsen does not take the holidays off. Yeah. And just to go ahead and say this for people who listen to this segment religiously, effectively, six billion is the new bar. That is the, you know, Avengers endgame of streaming right now. And it's hard to imagine that being broken anytime soon. I mean, that is really just destroyed previous records. It's fascinating how a show about a girl from a family on a 1960s black and white sitcom is really the biggest hit on Netflix. Who had a, what I presumed was a fairly iconic performance because people always talk about how Christina Ricci in the movies, you know, was absolutely fantastic there. And then here we have a slight reinvention of the character in the modern day and everyone just just ran to it. It's, it's clicking with all kinds of audiences. It really appeals to younger audiences, particularly girls. And uh, in, it works at a different level for parents as well. So it really coming close to hitting all those quadrants. I hadn't considered it that way, but you explained its success because the grandparents watched the black and white show, the parents watched the movies, and now you've got a new generation of kids watching this. So it is incredibly multi-generational. At nearly 6 billion minutes, it clearly is. All right. As always, we close out with what's been keeping us busy over the past week. And David and I watched a couple things. I will wait for him to talk about one in particular, but we did start watching Yellow Jackets as we had indicated in a previous episode. And I found it twisted and kind of more like lost than I was expecting. A lot of flashbacks forward and back. Has some interesting performances from Juliette Lewis and Christina Ricci. I am very interested to see where it goes. I think we're, what, three or four episodes in at this point. And also interested to see how it could possibly turn into multi-season show. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that's that's heavily... I, I watched three, I believe. And then, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that's heavily implied, but I don't know if they ever explicitly state certain things, like how long were they there? And then, you know, there's a very graphic butchering of an animal that is like, wait, where, where did that come from? And then mm-hmm. I guess that will lead into to future things and other, and other things that are implied, but we, I'm sure we get explanations later on. So yeah, I'm curious how that turns into a multi-season thing. I'm sure they, they had a plan if it took off, but yeah, that's on the list to um, check out if I, when I find the time. Yeah. Tim, how about you? Yeah, I uh, had a chance to watch most of Pepsi. Where's my jet? The, the <laughs> yes, the, the documentary because just just this ridiculous concept. I, and it turns out when the, when they show the actual commercial, I do remember it. I don't remember the end where the, where the initial commercial where at the end it says for seven million Pepsi points, yes, you can get a a, a Harrier jet. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I want, but but they they did end up changing it later on after he attempts to to submit enough points and the the loophole where you can make up the points with with cash which then greatly reduce the amount of Pepsi you need to purchase slash consume to to acquire these points and where they released a second version where they they upped it to 700 million points or and then and then also added just kidding at the end so basically is point was there was no disclaimer that this was a joke and so i therefore i deserve a harrier jet there's interviews with the guy who was like 20 years old at the time and so he's now in you know probably his late 40s early early 50s and a investor that he was friends with or his family was, was friends with and various pepsi uh executives and, and advertising people one amusing part when we introduce someone they all take the pepsi challenge and 
several of them get it wrong, or at least <laughs> decide that they thought the Coke was better, which is a, a very funny moment. There's also a an important person in the in the, the story is actually a a well known lawyer who's been in the news a lot in the last in the last few years, which is just kind of like out of nowhere. But it turns out he he's interviewed despite being under house arrest at the at the time, and is very very funny. It's only four episodes; they're all like maybe 35 minutes. So it's, it's actually got some people watching it then if it's enough to mm, yeah. uh, to make, to make the, the ratings then. So I think the whole thing probably runs like two hours or so, but yeah, I need to finish it, but it's very amusing and just an absolutely wild story. So do, do check that out if you have a chance. Awesome. Raul, how about you? Okay. This was actually a couple of weeks ago, but I watched Spirited, the movie on Apple TV Plus with Will Ferrell and Ryan Reynolds. This is the uh, Christmas musical, and it's a sort of sequel to A Christmas Carol. Tim hits the nail on the head where Ryan Reynolds literally plays the same character again, just smarmy and smug. They may well have written the part and realized, oh, this is a part for Ryan Reynolds. (laughs) Uh, Will Ferrell kind of plays the straight guy in this as the ghost of Christmas present who uh, escorts the irredeemable Ryan Reynolds character through his redemption arc. It's a musical. It plays a lot like a Broadway musical, in fact. And I I wonder, and I should probably look this up, was it actually written as a Broadway musical? (laughs) There is a number of uh, song numbers, although there was only one real song number that I think is supposed to be like the catchy one. This movie has, in fact, since been released theatrically in just a couple of hundred theaters by Apple uh, for a sing-along version. But the, the whole movie really didn't click with me. It felt longish and boring. The whole thing looked like it probably was filmed over the period of just a couple of weeks. Just something for Ryan Reynolds to do in between his other bigger projects. And I'm sure Will Ferrell has other bigger and better things to do as well. It just doesn't feel like a uh, Christmas classic. I will say I also watched a Christmas story Christmas on uh, HBO Max, and I felt uh, that one was much more entertaining. It had a much more holiday vibe. In fact, uh, I'm I'm not sure that Spirited had that much of a Christmas vibe at all, other than Mm. the fact that, you know, it's supposed to take place at Christmas and you're being haunted by Christmas ghosts. Christmas story Christmas. It was really nice to be touching base again with all the characters from that classic Christmas movie, A Christmas Story. So that one was uh, uh, much more entertaining, but spirited. I think some people are really clicking with those songs, uh, but they're not even really Christmas songs. So I don't know that this movie is going to have legs or really going to be something that people are going to be visiting over and over again throughout the years. All right. And David. So, yeah, about Yellow Jackets, all I have to say is last week, Tim was saying he wasn't sure he was all in on it. And I fully get that now that we've also watched three episodes. Uh, There are a couple of storylines where if they become any more graphic, uh, I might be out. Uh, It's it's too much in a couple of ways. I suspect those are misdirects, but if they're not, gross. Also, no. Archer had a season like that. That's the season of Archer we don't rewatch. Um, <laughs> we also, actually, I think it was just me who watched National Treasure Edge of History. Kim, you weren't in the room for that, right? I didn't watch that one, no. Okay. And it's very much, you know, a National Treasure thing. I'm only one episode in. There are three that have aired thus far, and I will continue to watch it just because I'm fascinated how Disney Plus is handling these sorts of stories. I'm going to watch this and Willow over the holidays, I'm pretty sure. It's 
completely derivative of the movies thus far, which in and of itself was derivative of Da Vinci Code. So a thing of a thing. It's not off to a roaring start, but I'll watch it anyway. And then YouTube started recommending something. And so two minutes at a time, what did we start watching, Kim? Letter Kenny. What is this show, Kim? I couldn't begin to tell you. <laughs> Kim has heard that question 25 times this week and it's not going to stop. We have probably watched over an hour of clips of Letter Kenny and then literally the hour of the podcast, we watched the first episode of Letter Kenny. And Kim, now that you've watched the first episode of Letter Kenny, what is that show? I couldn't begin to tell you. Yeah. All right. What did you think, my love? It's very funny. Very funny. I was telling her, I swear, this might be the spiritual successor to Clerks and that it's all just super strange and occasionally extremely dirty dialogue. I mean, this show takes pride in its vulgarity and it is... When it's on, it is absolutely hysterical. There was a discussion about how gentlemen don't kiss and tell. And then there was a discussion about a whistle that someone heard. And neither of those things mean anything if you're listening <laughs> to this, unless you've watched them. But if you have, oh my God, what? <laughs> We're going to keep watching. And I don't know what that says about me as a person. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. Thank you for listening to Streaming Into the Void. Please consider subscribing via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we welcome your feedback. Remember that we're on social media at Streaming Void and online at streamingintothevoid.com. If you like what you're hearing, please consider rating us and giving us a review in your favorite podcast player. Be sure to watch for us again next week. And Merry Christmas. Happy Holidays. We appreciate you.